0: Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. How should we live our lives? It's kind of a a broad question, I know, maybe a little vague. You can get all kinds of answers to a question like that. And, And we get all kinds of answers from people through social media, through television, through the news, from our friends and family, There are lots of people who are suggesting kind of big ideas about how we should live. And we hear things like, live your best life now. We are really, as a society, very concerned with maximizing our potential in life and and living our best life. You've probably heard people use that phrase, live your best life. And people will talk about the things that they're doing and they'll say, I'm living my best life. And of course, what we mean by that is we want to live a life that's easy and successful and prosperous And comfortable we uh, will go around the house and we'll throw away the things that don't bring us joy when we pick them up because we want to have the most uh, comfortable and prosperous experience as we can have in our lives and I'm not trying to uh, bash that practice at all but I wonder with the fact that we are so concerned with living our best life I wonder how so many of us seem to be interested in Jesus Christ Whenever we're so concerned with living a comfortable and prosperous life, why are we looking at Jesus Christ? The ministry of Jesus Christ on this earth was a ministry of suffering. When we look at the way that he lived his life, the things that he went through, and his death, it would be hard to say that Jesus was living his best life. Because he lived a life of extreme suffering. We call him Lord, and we call him king, and we talk about him being lifted up, and we praise him, but all of that is because of the suffering that he endured. And It wasn't suffering without any sort of purpose. We have salvation because of the suffering that he experienced, but it was extreme suffering nonetheless. Just thinking about the last 24 hours or so before he died, he was arrested in the middle of the night by armed men, and he was Dragged from trial to trial, treated unfairly, he was beaten and scourged. And with his back torn open and with his head cut from a crown of thorns, he was forced to carry a wooden beam to the site of his execution. And then when he got there, just like you or I would nail a fence post or fence picket to a fence post, his hands and feet were nailed to the cross. It's no wonder that Isaiah called him a man of sorrows. Isaiah 53 in verse 2, Isaiah said, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. What a description of a person. Is that something that you can relate to? You know, when we describe people, you may say that he or she is a a man or a woman of great athletic ability. Or there is a man or a woman of intelligence. Or even there is a man or a woman of faith. But when describing Jesus, Isaiah says, there is a man of sorrows. Jesus lived a life of suffering. This was the earthly ministry of Jesus. He was fully God and became man. Can you imagine just the humility that it takes to do that, just to become man? And this may be hard for some to accept because we want to follow somebody who we view as successful and prosperous and comfortable because that's the kind of life that we want. And we look at Jesus and we think, that's not the kind of life that I want. But it gets even harder because when Jesus... Not too long before he died, he turned to his disciples and he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is a call to pick up our own wooden beam and go to the site of our execution. We who choose to follow Christ do so through suffering as Christ did. But what does this mean? In what sense are we called to suffer? I think the answer is given by the first thing that Jesus says here, that we have to deny ourselves. This is our definition of suffering. When we are compelled to do something that we do not wish to do, that is suffering. When our wants and wishes and sometimes needs are denied, that is suffering. To do this to ourselves is called self-denial. To give up our wants, wishes, and sometimes even our needs for the sake of the kingdom. Now this is a different kind of suffering than you might typically think of when you think of the idea of suffering. This is not the same thing as suffering due to some sort of sickness or some other sort of calamity that's brought, on, brought upon you against your will. This is a suffering that we endure by choice. This is a suffering that Christ calls his followers to take on voluntarily. This is the life of the cross. We are putting ourselves to death in order to follow the one who was put to death for us. So that the Christian life is a daily reenactment of the crucifixion. Every morning, when we wake up and and selfish desires flood our minds, we put them to death in submission to Christ. We take the things that we want, which are against the will of God, and we nail them to the cross in submission to Jesus. That's self-denial, and that is suffering. Suffering that we choose because Christ calls us to it. And in so doing, we are imitating Christ. And we get to share in His suffering and be united with Him by following following Him by living a life that He lived. This morning, I want to talk about how we can imitate Christ in his suffering by suffering for other people. How we can imitate Christ by suffering for other people. That is, as Christ suffered for us, so should we suffer for others. Paul seems to have got this idea and gladly accepts it. We read about this in Colossians 1 He writes to the church at Colossae, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now there are sometimes when I am reading the Bible and I come across a passage and I, I see that and I think, Now, you know, what in the world does that mean? And I usually just keep on going and I think I, you know, I, I'm not going to figure that out. And I have to confess that this is one of those passages which for me, for a long time, I've read that and I thought, you know, what? What could Paul possibly mean by what he says in this passage? He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the church, for the sake of his body that is the church. And I'm not going to try to explain all the difficulties of this passage, but I think If we look at this, there are some things that we can take away that will help frame our minds in terms of how we should look at suffering for others. First of all, Paul says that he is suffering for the sake of the church at Colossae, that he's suffering for the sake of his fellow Christians. Now, it's no secret that Paul lived a life of suffering. In fact, when he wrote this letter, he was in prison for his faith. He was imprisoned for following Jesus. Specifically, he was suffering, Paul was suffering because of his missionary work. In his efforts to make the gospel of Christ known to the world, he was put in prison. And we read of many things that Paul had to endure, many things that Paul went through that were, that were him suffering for the sake of the gospel. We read about these in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 29. Paul says five times... Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers. Danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false, from false brothers. At this point, we're kind of expecting Paul to say, my middle name is Danger. But he goes on and on and on, and he continues, and he says, "In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. I can't imagine going through some of the things that Paul went through and then keep going. The fact that he was whipped several times and kept on preaching the name of Jesus. I mean, he was shipwrecked three times. I mean, what are, just what are the odds, first of all, of being shipwrecked three times And then how much courage and faith in God does it take to get in another boat, to travel to some people who need to know Jesus? Paul clearly thought it was important for him to endure this suffering for other people so that they would hear the gospel, so that those who had heard the gospel could be encouraged in their faith. He was willing to go through more than any of us probably will ever come close to going through. For the sake of others. And he even rejoiced in his suffering. He rejoiced in these things. Why? He said, for your sake. He was thinking of the people that he was trying to reach. Because he loved them. He suffered for them. I wonder if we have that kind of heart. The kind of heart that Paul had who was willing to suffer extreme suffering for other people. He goes on to say in this passage that we're looking at, that he was filling up in his flesh. He was filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. And of course, when we read this, we we think, you know, all these sorts of questions come to our mind, like how could Paul possibly be making up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. And what does that even mean? Is something lacking in Christ's afflictions? And we read this passage may be at first, and maybe confused that person. And I don't think Paul is at all saying anything about there being something lacking in Christ's atoning work for us. Paul is very clear that Christ has once for all purchased our salvation through his sacrifice. So he's not saying that Paul is adding on to uh, Christ's ability to save or anything like that. But what he's getting at here is that Christ's afflictions through the church are not over. That we as the body of Christ continue in the life of suffering that Jesus lived in. So that Christ continues to suffer through us. Through his body. What is lacking in Christ's afflictions is what we do on Christ's behalf as his body. When we suffer for others, we are, in this sense, participating in the death of Jesus. We are suffering for others as Christ has suffered for us. Now that is a high calling. So high it makes us feel uncomfortable. That is a high calling, that we can suffer for others as Christ suffered for us. And this is how Paul was able to go on preaching in synagogues where he had been kicked out and beaten up, how he was able to return because he saw himself identifying with Christ in his suffering. He saw himself doing for others what Christ had done for him by participating in the crucifixion so that Paul was, in a sense, being Christ to the Colossians. So that whenever the Colossians saw Paul and what he was doing for them, they saw Jesus Christ. What a motivation. How amazing it is to think that we have the opportunity to be Christ for others by suffering for them. You know, We look around us and we see people all around who need our help. People sitting in these pews, our brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, our children and our parents who need our help. Help. They need us. And the help that they need comes at a price. The question is, are you willing to pay to show someone else the self-denying love of Jesus? How much are you willing to pay to suffer for others? You know, our society generally recognizes the importance and the need of love. We hear about love all the time. You know, you can think about the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. They clearly thought that love was really important, that love could solve all sorts of things. And our society recognizes that. And even the Bible says that love is so powerful, that love even covers a multitude of sins. And our society, to some degree, understands that, that we need to love. But the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we love? What does that look like? What does that even mean to love? The Apostle John wrote in his first letter that we can, lo- we can know what love is one way by what Jesus did for us. He says in 1 John 3 and 16, By this we know love, that he, being Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Do we realize what great love was shown to us at the cross? I mean, what did we do to deserve what Jesus did for us? You know, we're we're the criminals. We're the ones who would have shouted out for Jesus to be crucified. We're the ones who would have laughed and spit on him. We're the ones who would have betrayed him. And yet Jesus died for us. The gift cost us nothing, but it cost Jesus everything. That is love. What Jesus did for us, that is how we know what love is. And this is how we love others. It's a self-giving, self-denying love. A love that gives others what they need, even to our own detriment. The common sense of what we hear around us of love and kindness. In our society, it's, it's what, we should, what we hear is that we should give of our excess to others. That we are, you know, we're encouraged to give others the things that we don't need. We have uh, so much stuff in our house, we take some of it to goodwill because we just don't have enough room for all of it. That's the idea of kindness. And and that is kindness. And I don't want to at all say that you shouldn't do that. Hannah and I love to do that. It's a good thing that you would take things and donate them to other people. But the idea that we have around us is that love is this idea that we give other people the things that we don't need. As if that were some sort of sacrificial thing. But Christ's example of love is not to give what we have left over. His example is to give everything. And that may make us feel uncomfortable, but that is what the Bible calls us to. When Jesus said to take up your cross and follow him, he was not calling us to an easy, comfortable life. It is a life that's full of joy. Paul said that I rejoice in my sufferings, but it isn't a comfortable, easy life. You know, we enjoy singing Psalm 23. We, uh, we love that psalm, and, and, and people have for, for a long time, and it's a wonderful song. It's a psalm about how the Lord is our shepherd, and we are his sheep, and he guides us. He leads us beside still waters. But you know, actually, toward, toward the end of the psalm, the metaphor actually changes. And in the fifth verse, we read about how the Lord is our host. And we've gone to visit him in his house. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And we can relate to that. We live such incredibly blessed lives. We can relate to our cup overflowing. We have so much. And what we tend to think is that we should take this cup of blessings which are overflowing and soak up all that's flowing over, and give that to other people. But a self-denying, self-giving love requires us to be willing to pour out the cup entirely for other people, not just give what we can't even hold. If we truly want to love other people, we need to get rid of this idea of convenient love and replace it with sacrificial love, because love that doesn't cost you anything isn't love there's a story of a uh, Polish priest who was sent to uh, the Auschwitz concentration camp in World War II. Uh, And of course, as you know, that was a uh, very terrible place to be. He was sent there to be a laborer. And while he was there, a uh, fellow prisoner had escaped. And the Nazi soldiers were trying to find this prisoner. and, And whenever he never turned up, whenever they never could find them, they decided... To send a message, they were going to line up ten other prisoners and they were going to kill them as an example to everyone else. And so they picked the ten people and one man, whenever he was selected, cried out, my wife, my children. And upon hearing that, the the priest stepped out and said, I'm a priest, I don't have family like this man does, let me take his place. And the guards accepted it and they put him along with the nine other, uh, the nine other prisoners into a, a, uh, a hunger uh, bunker where they were just deprived of food. And two weeks later, they checked on them and found that there were still a few people who were alive, and so they killed them by lethal injection. See, that's, that's the kind of self-giving love that Jesus calls us to. It's not a love of convenience but a love of sacrifice. We won't make any difference in in the world or any difference in the lives of the people around us if we love the same way that everyone else loves. No one is going to see Christ through you until you're hanging on a cross for them. Now, most of us probably won't be called to physically die for others And so we hear this call to give our lives to love other people, to follow Jesus by carrying a cross, by going to the place of execution, giving up our lives for other people. And that may be hard for us to try to apply in our lives because most of the time we're not in a situation where we have to die for somebody else physically. But I pray that if that ever happens, I pray that I would have the faith and the courage to do that, and I pray that you would too. But for most of us, that's probably never going to happen. So how do we live that kind of life in in the everyday experience of what we see in our homes and in our places of work? How do we die to ourselves to love others? One way that we can work this out in our everyday lives is by refusing to retaliate when we are wronged. In his first letter, Peter told servants that they were to be submissive to their masters and that they should respond as Christ did when they're treated unjustly. We read in 1 Peter 2, verses 18 through 23, Peter says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what what credit is it if, when you sin, and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So Peter is saying that servants should be submissive to their masters even if they are treated unjustly. How hard would that be? But why? Why should they do that? He goes on to say, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. The reason that servants are to submit, even to unjust masters, is that Christ did the same thing for them. He did the same thing for you. And Christ left us an example to follow. And Peter goes on to explain what that example is. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Though as we just sang, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free but he continued trusting himself to him who judges justly. In other words, Jesus suffered injustice on the cross, and he never retaliated. He had every ability within him, every power to retaliate in the most extreme way, but he chose not to. Can you imagine how difficult that would have been to have that kind of power and to not use it whenever you were dying? His only response when he was treated this way was to pray, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Christ's response to being mistreated was one of compassion. In our society today, this is seen as weakness. If you were to see somebody do this, people would say that they're being weak. Because nobody wants to be trampled on. Nobody wants to accept an insult. Nobody wants unfair treatment. But the call of, to follow Christ is to respond not with an angry word, not with a fist, but with compassion. Not only did Jesus not retaliate, but he longed for their forgiveness. Jesus took nails in his hands for the very people who were driving them in there. That was his attitude toward those. Who offended him. Love. And somehow we feel. That it's totally necessary. To call someone out for. Making a rude comment toward us. We feel it's necessary to make it. Very clear. Whenever we're offended. We make sure that the person who offends us. Feels sorry for what they did to us. What if instead. We chose not to accuse them? What if instead we chose to bear the consequences of their sin against us by not forcing them to make up for it? What if we prayed for their forgiveness instead of making them beg us to forgive them? What if we chose to be as Christ to everyone who wrongs us? When someone treats you unjustly, which I am assuming is an experience we all have. Sometimes in big ways, sometimes in little ways. But just the fact that we have relationships with other people, this is going to happen all the time. People will treat you unjustly. But we can show them the love of Christ by suffering for them. By refusing to to retaliate, you are, in in a sense, you are taking their sin on yourself you are suffering the consequences of their sin against you by not demanding that they make it right. How would this kind of self-denying love change our marriages and our friendships and our relationships with our co-workers if we chose to suffer for them when we were treated unjustly? Paul gives us more help on how to suffer for others. He's Talked about, or this Peter talked here about how we can suffer for others by not retaliating. And Paul talks about how we can suffer for others by considering them as more important than us. We read in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes here in this letter, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. Listen to this. And imagine somebody else saying this in our society society today. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The first thing that Paul says in this passage is that we should count others more highly than ourselves. And this is something that takes serious humility. Because naturally, I think pretty highly of myself. And I want to lift myself up. I want to think of myself as better than other people. That's what I naturally want to do. I, I can still remember uh, there was a, at the end of the fifth grade, there was an award ceremony. And they gave out all these different awards to the fifth graders who were graduating and going on to sixth grade. And there was this one award that was kind of for basically like an overall achievement award. And I felt like I deserved this award. And I was really pretty confident that I was going to get the award. Even at, as a fifth grader, I had this mentality. And I, I was thinking, whenever they were about to announce this award, I was, you know, I was ready to go accept it. And they called out the name, and I did not hear my name. They said, the award goes to Davis Hairston. I don't think I'll ever forget. <laughs> and even at 11 years old, I had this problem of not wanting anybody else to be better than me. Because inside I truly thought that I was better than everybody else. But Paul is calling us to the mentality of Christ, which does the opposite. And this is hard for us because it requires self-sacrifice. It requires me to get rid of this over-inflated view of self. That is just totally false. Paul gives us the example of Christ who was equal with God and chose to live as a human being. This is voluntary suffering. He humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross. And this is the mindset that Paul says we need. A mindset that lets us willingly humble ourselves for the sake of others. Though it isn't easy this is what it re- is required of us to live selfless lives among other people. Cuz as long as we think that we're better than everyone else and more important than everyone around us, we will not ever be able to serve them. Every act of service will feel like a waste of time if I'm always thinking that I have better things to do. If I truly think that I am more important and I truly think that my plans are more important than your plans, then every act of service will be excruciating to me. If you ask me to help you with something, I'd say yes, maybe only because I feel like I should, and I'd spend the whole time that I'm trying to help you, just complaining in my own head, because I believe my plans are more important. But if you flipped the script and you started lifting others above yourself, it frees you to serve them. Suddenly we can, as Paul says, look to the interests of others. I believe that this mentality has the power to change our relationships. To take family as an example, we often have opportunities to serve our family members. You know, being a a parent for the last last year almost has uh, taught me a lot. I have experienced and seen through Hannah all of the selfless love that it requires to take care of someone else. It has opened my eyes a lot. I have learned that it is not easy to have someone else depend on you. Taking care of someone else is a lot of work. And it can be discouraging. I know that many of you are probably feeling that right now. Maybe some of you have felt that for a long time. You felt like those who depend on you are just taking more from you than you have to give. And it can be crushing. It can be really hard to experience that. Whether you're a a mother of young children or children who have grown up, or if you're a husband who's taking care of an ailing wife or a wife trying to submit to a, a loving husband, these relationships have the potential to drain us. They are difficult. But I think that you have a genuinely important reason to keep on giving of yourself. That Christ died for you that he suffered for you and now you have the amazing opportunity to show Christ to those who depend on you to show them Christ's love by suffering for them by denying yourself and choosing your in- their interests above your own let this be your motivation for self-giving love that the ones you love might know Christ. The ones that you love can know Christ if you will every day go to the cross for them. Christ died for us. He suffered for us. This is what it looks like for us to live our best life, is to follow his example. suffering that can bring us joy because of the good that it does for others. But it's a suffering that requires us to sacrifice ourselves for others. So are you willing to follow Christ? His call goes out to you today as it did to his disciples 2,000 years ago. He said, if anybody would come after me, let him take up his cross. Let him deny himself, take up his cross. And follow me. Are you willing to suffer for others? Because that's what it takes to truly show Christ to the world. And nobody will see Christ through you until you're hanging on a cross for them. That is the call. It's the call to suffer. It's the call to follow Christ. If we can help anybody this morning, lest you come forward as we stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast for further information about our church please go to normanchurch.com normanchurch.com normanchurch.com